we're called to be civil servants, to influence our culture, to promote justice and righteousness. Why? For the redemptive purposes of God. That the gospel can go forth without hindrance. And that the lives of our, whether they be ordinary citizens or kings and queens, will be open to the message of God's grace. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning we will be continuing our uh, study in the book of Romans. Uh, we are now come to chapter 13, and we're going to be reading selected verses from chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Paul writes, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the evildoer. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. Now, I would have expected... A round of amens at the passage that I just read that you would be so excited about this whole idea of being obedient to the government and the authorities were over you. But I haven't heard any of that yet. So I'm going to assume that you are much like the first century Roman audience who would have heard this read to them. And I believe that you could hear them and see them squirm and become a little restless and uncomfortable as Paul talks about this relationship between government authorities and the Christian. And I believe their thoughts would go something like this. Paul, up until this point in your letter, you have given to us a masterpiece in Christian theology. You have given to us such a, a clear understanding of the gospel and how it's to be lived out in the Christian life. But now it seems, Paul, that you must be under the influence of some drug. How in the world can you expect us to be obedient to a government and to an authority that is as pagan and anti-Christian as the Roman government? Think of all of its brutality. Paul, remember, it was this government that conspired to kill the Lord Jesus. How can you expect us to obey that government and to believe that God has anything to do with setting up a government like that? Huh. Well, maybe you have some similar questions this morning about those in authority, questions that I have as well. 
And they're good questions. And I want us to be honest and open this morning about these issues. And I want us to see them in the light of what Paul is teaching in Romans 13. So the title of my message this morning is simply Authority and Submission. Now before we look closely at what this passage is teaching, I think that it would help us if we paid a little bit of attention to what the passage is not teaching, what it's not saying. And I want to say that there are three things that we can get confused about if we misunderstand this. The first thing that this passage is not saying is that it is not commanding us to obey the law in any and every circumstance. For you see, Romans 13 is not a complete theological treatise on church-state relations. In the Bible, there are numerous instances in which men and women broke the law in order to obey God's law, and God approved it. Remember the story in Exodus 1. The Egyptian pharaoh had told the Hebrew midwives to kill all the baby Jewish boys. Yet the Bible says the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh because they feared God and did not do as the Egyptian king had commanded. In Daniel, there are more than one instances of this. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar to fall down and worship the golden idol. They did not do so, and God protected them. And in the New Testament, we see often where the authorities commanded by edict the disciples not to preach the gospel. To stop doing what they were doing. And the disciples would say, we cannot stop speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. We must obey God rather than man. So that's the first thing. The second thing that this passage is not teaching is that those in authority always function the way God designed. Yes, verse 2 says that they are that the ruling authorities are appointed by God. Verse 4 says that they are servants of God uh, to promote peace. But we know that they often fail miserably in that uh, command. And for that, they're going to be accountable for God. So this passage is not teaching that all authorities in what they do is right. The third thing it's not teaching. It's not teaching compliance to the status quo. Paul here is not recommending that you just blend in with everything around you and don't challenge the powers that be. To him, submission doesn't require you to just do what you're told without asking any questions. It doesn't demand that you just blindly agree with all decisions and never make any waves. In other words, we could say, obedience is not compliance. So we must ask ourselves then, what is Paul teaching in this passage? What does he mean by obeying government authorities and being, submiss- and being submissive to them? And in helping us to understand that, I think that there are two principles that go first that Paul talks about that we need to look at. The first one is the origin 
of authority. And it's pretty blunt here, folks. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So you see, God has ordained authority and submission. And this principle is true, not only in our relationship to the government, but in every aspect and in every relationship of life. It doesn't mean that those in authority are more important or more valuable. All are equally valuable and precious to God. But we can see this principle, for instance, in parents' relationship to children. It's not because children are inferior to parents. It's for the purpose of order in the home. Homes where this is not observed are unhappy homes, and children are just as miserable as the adults. This principle holds true in our own church life. In the Bible, elders are given authority over the congregation, not because they're superior, but because God has ordained this way in his order in the church. And when that order is violated, what do we have? We have chaos, we have disunity, we have pain. And so, even in our church vows, we talk about submission to authority. It's for the purpose of order. It's for the... It's, it's designed so that the church can more perfectly carry out its mission because a church in chaos is a church that has lost its witness. Well, we see this principle in employer-employee relationships with husbands and wives, with teachers and students, all across the board. We see the principle of submission to authority. And I might also say, brothers and sisters, that this Order is also found in the Trinity. What do we believe about the Trinity? The Trinity teaches us that there is one God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they are the same in essence. Equal in power and in authority. But what do we have when we look at the New Testament? And we see the story of redemption unfold. We have the Lord Jesus over and again saying, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And there at Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We know it was the will of the Father for Jesus to go and die on the cross. And Jesus did it in submission to authority. Now, we not only see here the origin of authority, but also want us to recognize the purpose of authority. Do we need to take a break here? I know this is heavy. I'm sorry, I don't have any funny stories, or I don't tell jokes very well. Uh, maybe we just all need to take a little breath here. Uh, just imagine behind me that there's a nice uh, waterfall, and you're listening to the water as it comes over, and just relax and take that deep breath. Feel any better? Neither do I. <laughs> but the second thing that Paul wants us to see here is the purpose of authority. What is that purpose? Uh, for the one of the authority is God's servant for your good, verse 4 says. Now it's interesting here that 
The word that Paul uses to say that the government authorities are servants of God is the same word that we use to get the word deacon from. It normally in the Bible refers to someone who is serving God, a believer serving God through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in classical Greek, it can also refer to a civil servant, whether that civil servant believes or trusts God or not. So what Paul is saying is that governing authorities are servants of God when they carry out the purpose for which God has appointed them. And whether they know it or not, whether they're believers or not, they are God's servants when they administer justice, peace, and order in society. Now Paul is not arguing that rulers who are immoral or cruel or unjust are carrying out God's will. The believers listening to Paul could have seen many instances where injustice was being perpetrated by the Roman officials. Paul is not saying that they're always right or that they always reflect wholesome Christian values. Certainly they do not. But Paul would have us to see that these rulers, with all of their faults, are still appointed by God. And they are servants of God when they are agents of justice and peace and order in society. And so I think we can examine, as we examine this, we can understand that Paul is setting forth a fundamentally recognized principle that state authorities are not always bad, that they can be instruments of great good. I think about our own country for hundreds of years. The government has passed laws to protect our rights and to guarantee our freedoms. In many ways, the government has been a friend of the church and has actually been instrumental in the propagation and promotion of the gospel. They have allowed us to give to churches and have it a tax-deductible contribution. They have uh, permitted uh, chaplains in the military uh, and in Congress. One of the most exciting things that I see right here in our, in our own uh, town and others is what we call release time. How many of you are aware of that? You know what release time is? Release time is the ability of the stu- high school and, and, and middle school students to go off campus during school hours and take Bible courses. Can you believe that? And what's more, they get credit for graduation. I think it's a phenomenal opportunity that our government has given us to promote the Christian faith. So now we come to that question. What does Paul mean when he says that the Christian's duty is to submit to governing authorities? What does that look like? Well, the first thing that I want to do is to make sure that you understand that this is not just Paul's theology. Let me read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority 
or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And what does Jesus say? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And so I submit this morning that the general principle and attitude of believers toward government authorities should be one of submission. Now what does that submission look like in real life? Well, it's a submission to authorities regardless of how they came to power. It's obedience to them regardless of how well they dispense their duties. For you see, submission to government authorities is a reflection of our commitment to Christ. This is what's going on in this whole uh, section of the book of Romans. Paul has introduced this section in chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is a spiritual matter. And we are called to be law-abiding citizens, even when we don't like the law. The whole context here is paying taxes. We're to pay taxes even though we might not agree with the way the government spends the money. The only exception to this, the only exception as I see it in the Bible, is when we are required to do something by law that God forbids, or that we are forbidden by law to do something that God commands. And the day is coming, and maybe now here, when Christians have to do that. In good conscience, we have to say with the apostles, we have to proclaim what we've seen and heard. We have to preach the gospel. We have to be obedient to God, not to man. And what's the result? The result could well be the type of persecution that we read about uh, that's going on in the world today. So let me ask this. What is at stake here? What is the real issue that's at stake behind the message that Paul is given? The real issue is the gospel itself. For you see, the way that we conduct ourselves in society will help or hinder the gospel as it is preached. Obeying the rulers and authorities, being a part of our culture, will afford us the opportunity to bear witness to the rulers and leaders and earn their respect. And so we are to be servants. We are to be involved by getting to know the culture around us. We are to be advocates for justice and mercy and righteousness. And there are many opportunities around us to do that. Now, I know for some of us this morning, this is a little tough to get your arms around. I don't know whether you're Republican or Democrat or what type of political uh, office you may have held in the past or what kind of civil servant that you are or uh, one that has chosen not to do any civil service, whatever your background. I'd like to, to promote two things that I believe will help us to gain a deeper appreciation for what Paul is saying in this chapter. Number one is, 
I want us to look at the prime example of submission to authority. And that example is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. What do we know about Jesus? That he lived under the law, the Old Testament law. That he was perfect in his obedience and that no sin was found in him. But we also know that Jesus lived in obedience to the civil law as well. One of the examples of that, if you remember, when he stood before Pilate. And there he was on trial. And Pilate was asking him all these questions. And Jesus just remained silent. And finally, Pilate said, man, don't you know that you're accountable to me? I'm asking you questions and I want answers. Don't you know that I have the authority of life and death over you? And what did Jesus say? You would have no authority over me at all unless it were given to you by God. We know that Jesus could have blown Pilate away with one word. But what did he do? He submitted to the authority of the civil law that condemned him to die on the cross. The most unjust act ever performed in human history. He did it in submission. Submission to God and submission to the civil law. And so what do we mean by submission? Let me see if I can put this together. Submission means that we obey the laws of the land to the fullest extent possible, even when it's not pleasant for us, in order for God's redemptive purposes to be fulfilled. That's, what's, that's what I mean when I say this is all about the gospel. And our obedience and our submission and our willingness to be involved in cultures says multitudes about our commitment to Christ and our desire to promote the gospel in the world. The second thing that I want us to get our arms around is to examine our worldview. Our worldview. What is a worldview? Well, it's something that we all have, whether we thought about it or not. It's the grid by which you interpret everything in the world around you. It's the theological and practical principles by which you judge the difference between right and wrong. Your worldview informs you about who God is and who you are, why you were created, and where you are going. It informs you that all of life is sacred, that there is no difference between the secular and the sacred, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's the way that you and I use, the thing that you and I use to understand all of life. And what is the guiding principle of, our, of a Christian worldview? What is the chief theme of our perspective on life? It's the sovereignty of God. It's that God is God. That he created the heavens and the earth and that his kingdom is forever and forever. 
and that he governs the world and that all truth is God's truth. It teaches us that there is a God who is coming back and that Jesus is Lord of all and all life comes from him. How does that apply to our subject of authority and submission? It helps us to understand, beloved, as Proverbs 21.1 says, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers of water, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. No king can ever in any way thwart the eternal plan of God. Scripture consistently teaches that God is actively involved in the raising up and the casting down of human governments and institutions. We learn that Jesus is coming back in the clouds of heaven, and we're going to sing about that in a moment. And that the rulers of this world will stand before his judgment seat. And that righteousness and peace and justice will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we learn in this worldview that it is God's prerogative to judge the rulers and all those in authority will be held accountable. So let me summarize what I see here. And it's this. Paul commands us to be in submission to authority. And that submission essentially means that we are called to be law-abiding citizens, first of all. We are to honor the laws, even when we don't like them, and to the utmost extent that we can, obey those laws. Secondly, it means that we're called to be civil servants, to influence our culture, to promote justice and righteousness. Why? For the redemptive purposes of God. That the gospel can go forth without hindrance. And that the lives of our, whether they be ordinary citizens or kings and queens, will be open to the message of God's grace. So we see this calling as a powerful instrument to promote the gospel and to extend the kingdom of God. And today I submit that we cannot, brothers and sisters, we cannot allow our disregard of the, our duty as citizens to affect our calling as ambassadors for Christ. We've got to see this as a spiritual matter. And we've got to see that as we are submitting to Christ and as we're living out the gospel, we are under the authority of those who are over us. And as we sing this final hymn, to be reminded that justice ultimately belongs to God and that we worship and love a God who is going to bring His kingdom to this earth. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for the opportunity to be servants in Your kingdom We thank you for the example that our Lord Jesus Christ is to us. And we ask, Lord, that we would be examples uh, of the gospel wherever we go. 
by being submissive to authorities that have been placed over us. But in all that we do, Lord, help us always to realize that first and foremost, our priority is to obey you. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.